0: Do you find yourself judging your students the very first day they walk in the classroom? I recently began thinking about how i did do that because as a classroom management technique i needed to be able to assess what a student was going to do in my classroom and i had to do it pretty quickly the problem was those evaluations and those judgments were based on very little evidence and very little information Caitlin shares in this episode that she's often judged as a lazy student i'm curious if you would judge her as a lazy student after listening to her interview. What are some of the arbitrary expectations for students that we still hold on to in the system of education? I was so amazed at the reasons why Caitlin was not successful according to the system she was in. She has a 3.8 GPA in a challenging major, but she almost didn't graduate high school. Not because of work, not because of grades. Listening to her story made me really wonder about what we're doing in the system of education. podcast, Education Unimagined, where we give students an opportunity to share their voice in a system where often their voice is unheard. I ask them to share their experience and advice on how we can improve the experience for everyone. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast, student leaders, future leaders. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm
1: Caitlin. I'm a sophomore in college. I'm going for my psychology degree and a minor in criminal justice. Will you tell me
0: about your leadership qualities that you found in that and were determined by the VIA character survey, bravery, honesty, kindness, curiosity and self-regulation. Did
1: any of them stand out to you or come as a surprise for you? Bravery, honestly. I don't know about that. I am confrontational when it comes to like doing the right thing. But beyond that, standing up for people, I tend to be quiet.
0: My follow-up question is, do you feel like bravery surprised you because of the way we as a society define
1: Bravery. Obviously society has a huge play on the way we perceive ourselves and I often perceive myself to be mousy. I'm not very out there. Is Society seems to have this view of bravery. You don't have struggles. You don't have mental illness struggles. I have a lot of anxiety going up and meeting someone new. I get really nervous going into new classes. I just started class Monday and I was shaking. I was so nervous. Sometimes I feel like cowardly and I feel inferior to a lot of people. And that doesn't make me feel very brave.
0: Yes. I think you nailed it that you feel cowardly and you feel that your anxiety is preventing you from being brave. But I think the word you use by being perfect, that myth, that people are perfect and people portray that perfection. What did you think when you saw bravery? Did you believe it or did you disbelieve it?
1: I thought I messed up somewhere. I honestly thought I put in the wrong bubble or the wrong question. I was like, why is that popping up for me? But when I see it, I'm like, that's just not me. And but that I don't think it's me in the connotation of society. Maybe to myself, I'm brave in my own definition of it. But
0: but I guess I want to ask you because this transitions right into the line of work that you took after high school of being an EMT, I see that as being something really brave. And that's probably where your bravery is coming out. So let's Talk about being an EMT. How did you get to that position? What were you thinking? And what did you learn
1: from being an EMT? What were you thinking is a great question. So in high school, I struggled a lot mentally. I had like a spew of health issues. I was in and out of the hospital quite a bit. And it led me to have frequent contacts with EMTs and paramedics and one man, his name was Scott, showed up to my house quite often. He was the one that was transporting me when I was having these health issues and I started to get to know him. He suggested that I could go and inquire at a fire station and he gave me the address to one that would fit for me. I took it and I ran with it. I have a best friend and she had this really bad health emergency while she was at work. And I drove there, I showed up and found her and she ended up wanting me to go with her to the hospital and for the first time i wasn't in the back of the ambulance i was in the front seeing it from the outside in and i really liked the feeling that i was there for somebody i liked feeling that i was making a difference because at the time i wasn't feeling very good about myself i was feeling that i was worthless that i wasn't making a difference in society that i wasn't doing anything for anybody i was licensed by 17. And I just saw a lot of things that I was really young to be seeing. And so that forced me to kind of cope with it. It has made me stronger now because I can deal with a lot more than I think an average person would be able to deal with medically wise. I've learned that everybody has their problems. Everybody has what's going on with them. And it's honestly, people aren't perfect. And before I started EMT, I could look at you in the face and give you a list of names of people that I thought were perfect and they had nothing going on with them until I have them in the back of my ambulance and they're not perfect, they need help. It was a big eye opener for me and I feel like I matured and grew a lot in the three years that I was doing it.
0: Did you continue between high school?
1: I took a gap year. I graduated high school in three years rather than four. I struggled a lot in high school with my mental health. And I had a couple instances where the school wasn't comfortable with me being there. So they would put me either in a homebound program, which meant I couldn't go to school. I would have to do school at home or they would put me at a halfway house. It was for kids who could not physically go to school. You sat and did your work and then you went home and it was mostly online. I applied for colleges in July of 2020 so I could do early action and get into what I wanted if I had the grades (laughs) and it worked out. During that year, I did do EMT. I was working pretty consistently.
0: So you were doing online school before online school was a thing.
1: Yeah, I wasn't allowed to
0: go into school. Gotcha. Tell me a little bit more about that phrase that high school wants butts in the seat because that resonated.
1: I'm from Virginia. And I'm not sure if it's like this everywhere, but I know my school district required you to have so many hours sitting in a classroom setting. So on top of my mental health and my physical health issues, I was missing quite a lot of school. I had, I believe, 100 period absences by the end of the school year. And I had detention twice a week for three hours. And then I had Saturday school every Saturday for three months from 8am to 1230pm. And that was their idea of me making up seat time when I was getting absolutely no educational benefit from it. I was sitting there reading, we weren't allowed to eat to go to the bathroom, we were allowed to do anything.
0: So you weren't doing
1: missed schoolwork? No, because even then, I was still doing my work. I just wasn't in school. If I was missing a day, I was still catching up with everything. I would email my teachers and ask for my makeup work and I would do it. It's just my butt physically was not sitting in a chair inside a school. And it was either that or a truancy charge. I had three truancy meetings with my parents in the school.
0: We're talking about 2017?
1: I started in 2017,
0: yes. Yes. We're not talking about a long time ago. This is pretty recent. It's crazy to think that that was an expectation. And it sounds like your teachers themselves were accommodating because they allowed you to do the work even though you weren't in the actual seat.
1: Yes, teachers didn't care. My assistant principal was, I'm so sorry that you have to do this. I'm so sorry I have to sign this to you. She would stay after school so that I could just sit in her office rather than be in. Detention. Everybody was incredibly sweet. It was the school board, the superintendent, school district. They were so adamant. Even if I had a 4.0, they would have made me sit in a seat for hours.
0: Did any of the people who were making this decision know who you were as a person?
1: I never met one of them. I got this information from my principal who said that I was required to do it because they had already been contacting her about my seat time.
0: It's really interesting to think and reflect on the fact that the people making these decisions had no direct contact with you or engaged with you in any way to find out if there was an extenuating circumstance. It's pretty apparent to me that not knowing and not having relationships makes it a lot easier to make arbitrary rules in that situation. Can we jump to the accommodations? When did you determine that you needed these accommodations and how have they been for you now as a student?
1: Yeah. So in high school, I had unspoken accommodations. Everybody knew that I'm a loose cannon. I'm going to start sobbing in your face at any moment if you don't let me leave the room. So I was just allowed to leave. It was never set in stone. So going into college, there was a requirement that all freshmen live on campus. Not me. I have a service dog. The roommate life isn't for me. I don't want to do it. So I ended up talking to student accessibility services. I was in contact with them. They did an intake meeting with me. And they said, if you just have a letter of recommendation from my therapist, my psychiatrist, and I have a 504 plan that cannot be broken. And I knew when they were telling me, you're gonna need to live on campus for the first year. I'm like, I'm not doing that. It's either let me live off campus or I don't go to the school. It wasn't me being snarky, but I know what I need for myself. You don't know what I need for me. You don't know me like that. So student accessibility was awesome. They don't question what I need. And if I do need them, I'm allowed to just walk in at any time and talk to somebody. So it's great. This is
0: really interesting for anybody who is not in education to understand the difference between an individual education plan or a 504 plan. The 504 plan can actually go with you beyond higher education and even into your workplace. So Caitlin, you had your service dog before you went to college. What other accommodations do you need And what has been helpful for you in your college education setting?
1: Okay. I have a couple. I'm allowed to leave the room at any time for any reason, no questions asked, and I can come back whenever I want to, or I can just straight up leave and go home. As long as I communicate after the fact, usually if I am leaving in the middle of a class, it's a mental emergency. I'm having a panic attack and I need to go sit in the bathroom for a couple minutes. Another one is I have priority registration for classes. The first year that I didn't have priority registration, I did not get any classes that I needed that semester. And I ended up having a three day long meltdown registration, it's been great. I get all the classes that I need. That's been, I think, my favorite accommodation that I have because I know that I'm not going to be set into this spiral of not knowing what to do.
0: I also wonder having that priority registration allows you to sort of stagger and set your schedule up so that you know that you'll be successful under the circumstances. Was that one of the challenges that you experienced in high school? Had you been able to sort of set your schedule? Do you think you would have been more successful at being present when they needed you to be present?
1: I was often put into classes with people that I had no contact orders with. And I would be put into these classes, they would harass me, I wouldn't be able to get out of that class. So if they had had some flexibility or understanding, I think I would have succeeded with flying colors. Another issue was the The kids were just mean. High school, kids are no joke. They are mean. I was assaulted on campus. They didn't do a thing.
0: So it was more about the connections. Where do you experience the
1: most challenge in college? Definitely communication with professors, I am very communicative, but professors have hundreds of students. So I can get lost in the cracks sometimes. I have to be a squeaky wheel. I have to be persistent about what I need and what I need to be heard. Another thing I definitely struggle with is attendance. I'm still struggling with a lot of things. So my school is really great about mental health. They understand it. If you're having a bad day, don't come to class, but you can only have so many of those. And I just tend to have a lot of days where I cannot get out of this bed. Once I get there, I'm usually, okay, I'm gonna zero in on. On this, I'm fine, it's cool. But actually, getting there and driving the eight minutes can sometimes be a struggle. And that's something that people don't understand is that even just getting out of bed and dressed and brushing your teeth and getting in the car can be enough to exhaust you and put you to sleep for another eight hours.
0: Let me ask you, what is some advice that you would give to someone like me who
1: is a high school teacher or a college professor? I would say check your email, see your life problems as these are my problems and somebody else is going to have their own problems and I have to respect those and I have to understand that I may not like how their life is going right now or why they're not in class right now, but that's not my decision to change. And that's not my mental health to work on. That's the students. Check your email and respect what people are saying.
0: Do you think that as an educator or a college professor, we have made decisions about what students are before they walk in the door?
1: Definitely. I'm in the psychology field. Most of my professors do get it they are understanding they have empathy they care about my well-being but i am often categorized as just a lazy student but i'm smart i have to tell myself this i am smart i made president's list this semester i have a 3.0 eight GPA. I am capable of all of these things. I'm often categorized as a lazy student because I don't want to show up to class when I'm just battling myself in my own mind. And I'm trying to force myself to get from point A to point B. I'm curious to know
0: if the reason you went into psychology is because of the struggles that you experience and what your hope is with this major
1: I got into psychology funnily enough because of my therapist she's the best she's like my second mom she's incredible she has the best advice I've been seeing her for seven years now I want an MSW I want to go to college for psychology, and she's exactly what I want to be. She is the most empathetic, kindest person I have ever met in my life, and she made me feel heard, and I want people to feel heard. I don't need to be an EMT to do that. All I need to do is get somewhere into the psychology field. So I've had my mind made up for years that I'm going in for psychology, and then I'm eventually going to go get my master's in social work.
0: MSW is Masters in Social Work. Yes. What's the one thing that you think you could change to have had a different experience? I
1: think I would have stopped myself from growing up so fast. I would have told myself to slow down and enjoy being a teenager rather than wanting to be a grown-up. That's all I wanted. Now that I look back on it, I miss being a teenager and just living off of my parents and not having all of these responsibilities and worries and financial things to worry about. So if anybody's listening, slow down. <laughs> it's not that important right now.
0: The whole reason that I created this podcast is for student voice. It didn't sound like to me that anybody who was making decisions was listening to your voice. If you could go back and give an advice to an administrator or yourself on how to communicate the challenges that you were experiencing in a way that maybe they would have listened
1: i had a lot of instances where i am my best advocate and i would yell to make myself heard and nobody heard me or they acted like they heard me they didn't hear me they didn't really care what i was saying they just wanted me to get my diploma and get out it's about making people feel heard making people feel respected and i understand that you're going through this i'm so sorry. Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to find a solution or do you just want me to listen? And that would have been incredible if all of my teachers or administrators or even my principal did that in high school rather than just, okay, I get it. Go to class.
0: Yeah, we often think we're listening and think we're giving students an opportunity to share their voice. And in fact, it's quite the opposite, which only disengages and disempowers students, and then they don't want to engage.
1: You have a service dog. Tell us a little bit about your dog. So Evie is a Lab and Husky mix. She is turning four in february she went through puppy classes then she went through service dog training by my therapist she can detect my heart rate to see when it's rising if it's getting too fast she'll know that that's a panic attack she does deep pressure therapy on me. So she'll sit on me so that I have some sort of comfort. Feels like I'm getting a hug from a giant animal, which is exactly what I'm getting. It's incredible. If you ever have a chance, let a dog sit on your diaphragm. It's the most comforting thing in the world. (laughs) She is the light of my life. I love this dog. (laughs) And does she go with you everywhere? So she used to She used to go with me everywhere, and then I started having this impending feeling of doom that I am letting this dog just not be a dog. She's still trained, and she can still do all of her tasks, but she just doesn't have to do them all the time now.
0: Well, this was a really great interview. I learned a ton. I'm really
1: excited that you were willing to share your story. Thank you so much for having me. I really did enjoy this. I was nervous that you'd be like trying to figure out every single little thing about me, but you were great. So thank you. you no, know,
0: I don't need to know everything. And the pieces that you shared were revealing enough. And I think we'd be surprised at how many people can relate to your story.
1: You allowed me to share my story in a way that I was comfortable with. And I really appreciate that.
0: There's more to advice than just listening. After having these conversations with students, it changed me. I put some of their suggestions into my practice and I noticed a difference. I was more connected with the students. My relationships were... Were stronger and it made me a better educator. I'd love for you to take some of these lessons that you've learned and put them into practice or share some of the lessons that you have learned from your students. It's more than just hearing student voices, it's learning from them. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast Unimagined for all the amazing upcoming interviews that I have on the slate the theme music for this podcast Unimagined was written and produced by another fellow educator Keith McLinden.